Hello and welcome to Transplaner RPG. We are an all transgender, person of color led, dark fantasy actual play channel featuring homebrew stories that center non colonial, anti orientalist world building and campaigns about queerness, grief, hope, and the power of love. Godkiller First Blood is a 16 part podcast miniseries that follows a mythic, violent, and transformative tale about a single mortal rising against the challenges of the divine. Tonight, your god is me, Connie Chong, and my god killer is C. Thomas. First Blood is a dark fantasy series that explores themes that may be triggering for some listeners. Content warnings for this episode may include fantasy violence, classism, poverty, religious imagery, grief, trauma, ghosts, death, human experimentation, heights and falling, and mentions of starvation and sacrifice. Episode 9 Champion The first thing anyone notices about Chemical 4 is the vat. A vast and deep wound in the flesh of the cradle, the vat stretches for miles, spanning the entire width of Chemical 4 and splitting the town into horizontal halves. Lining the edges of the vat, as proliferous as ants on sugar, are the labs of Chemical 4. Workshops of spiraling marble and glass where any number of desperate and diabolical experiments take place. The scientists of Chemical 4, colloquially known as coats, engage primarily in the production of acids, neoplastics, and pharmaceuticals, venerating above all else, the breakthrough. As denizens of the District of Invention, ruled by the enigmatic magician, the mortals of Chemical 4 volunteer their flesh and minds for scientists to do with as they please. Together, these lab rats and coats alike strive toward that greatest of all accolades, the discovery of something brand new. In Chemical 4, life is cheap and death is common. Biomedical waste, chemicals, and pollutants are flushed out of drainage pipes peeking through the sides of the vat, attached to the massive laboratories that crowd the chasm's edge. A constant flow of waste gutters from these pipes into the quarter-mile drop down, down, down to the bottom of the vat, where a lake of acid bubbles, disintegrating anything that falls into it. The fumes from this acid waft into the air, forming a toxic fog that suffocates the surface of Chemical 4. A single road leads into and out of Chemical 4, forming a bridge over the vat that connects the north and south sides. Despite the lab town's proximity to the citadel, traffic is light. Few travelers willingly choose to pass through the hallucinogenic winds that waft up from the vat. The path of the bridge is a desolate one. It is five o'clock in the evening. The ashen star is beginning to dim, casting a hazy gray light over chemical fumes of this lab town. A single vehicle roars toward the bridge. An armored mini-truck with a guttering tailpipe and scorch marks all over the bottom panels of its paint job. The fumes from the vat press against the bulletproof windows like greedy bandits, but they find no purchase. 
inside baby. Antigone frets in the passenger seat. She gazes out the window, checks the map in her lap, wraps her fingers against the armrest. Occasionally, she glances off to her side, staring at the unconscious heretic buckled into the middle seat behind her. Their chest rises and falls in deep, even breaths. The knives at their hip are polished and clean. Some time after the chariot incident, when they had driven far away enough from the smoldering remains of Refinery-19, Eos had wordlessly taken Rune's blades and cleaned them, removing the blood and oil and soot with a damp rag. She hadn't asked Antigone for permission first, but made the choice on her own, the same way she decided to drop the heretic down the hole of Iron-42 in the first place. And now... Antigone stares at Rune, her brow slightly knotted, her gaze black and set. She considers praying over their unconscious form for the ninth time that day, then decides against it. She has very little left to sacrifice to the witness. She, too, needs rest. Antigone tears her gaze away from the back seat and fixes it upon her champion, Eos, who's driving Baby through Chemical 4. Antigone is well aware this is the town Eos grew up in. It's also the town where they met. We didn't have to take this road, Eos. It's safer this way. Less traffic. Yes, but there were other paths we could have chosen. It's not too late to turn back if you want. It's safer this way. Less traffic. Besides, I know this place. No surprises. Right. Even after five years, not much has changed. This place is still gray. Still smells bad. Is it bothering you? No, no, it just smells bad and I shouldn't open the window and the air conditioning is broken. <sighs> I know we haven't been back to Chemical 4 since you left, so it's okay if you're feeling... feelings about being here. I'm not. Antigone pauses, chewing the inside of her cheek. She spent the last 15 minutes watching Eos's grip tighten on the steering wheel, and she knows when her champion is lying to her. A few more moments of silence, then Baby passes from the gravel road onto the cobbled stonework of Chemical Forest Bridge. From here, we can see each of the massive labs practically stacked on top of each other, all clustered around the lip of the vat, spewing pollutants into the air. Antigone's eyes fall on one lab in particular, a squat, metallic structure with shining windows and the logo of a snarling beast on its doors. She points her finger pressing against the interior glass of Baby's windshield. That's your old lab, isn't it? Eos's gaze doesn't move from the road in front of her. Still, the champion nods, as though the truth isn't something she needs to see to believe. She's known her old lab's exact location from the moment Baby's wheels hit the asphalt of Chemical 4. Antigone leans back in her chair, a wistful look playing across her face. I still remember it. 
Even though it's been nearly five years. Those scientists, oh, if you can even call them that. They were pitting you against these manufactured god beasts. They didn't intend for you to beat those monsters. They intended to see how the monsters would rip you apart. I remember thinking it was ghastly. Ghastly. Inhumane. The fact that you lived as long as you did was nothing short of a miracle. You're a miracle, Eos. You were the reason everyone in your lab group survived. You... You were the reason I survived. When that monster broke out of its cage during that so-called routine Citadel demonstration, I thought I was going to die. I really did. I mean, Sir Ilios didn't stand a chance. But you... I still remember as clear as glass you stepped in without hesitation, without even a thought, and you saved me. My lady. And those scientists had the nerve to try to expel you for killing their latest pet project as if it hadn't just broken loose and attacked a speaker. Oh, that's standard fare. Asset protection and all that. It's in every contract here. Honestly, the coats were well within their rights. I'd killed a monster that wasn't marked for death. And again, I say, what a ghastly clause. You were innocent. You weren't part of the trial. You hadn't signed up like the rest of us. A thread of silence hangs between the speaker and her champion. Antigone rests her head against the passenger side window, staring out at the factories and labs pumping the vat full of chemicals. She imagines that the god of this place Eureka, the Knight of Wands, the Lurking Spark, will be quite satisfied with today's offering. Eos, do you think things have changed since then? In the labs? No, my lady, I don't think the rats or the coats have the propensity to change. The trials may be different, but the stench and the suffering are the same. I didn't mean in the labs. I meant us. Do you think we've changed? My lady, with all due respect, I don't think I've changed at all. I don't know, Eos. Maybe things should change. Those terrible scientists, those miners, that heretic in our backseat. I think things are changing whether we want them to or not. Things have been different ever since we left the Citadel. Ever since we met... them. If you told me we'd be fighting blood ghosts alongside heretics in a pit town a month ago, I would have struck you down with every ounce of divine power I have. I would never speak against you. No, no, that's not what I mean. I like when you make your own decisions, Eos. You don't just have to do what I tell you to do. I made you my champion for so many reasons. You are strong, you are capable, you are courageous, dedicated, loyal, caring, but ultimately, I made you my champion because you chose to protect me. When I was nothing to you, just some cushy citadel woman, but you threw yourself into danger anyway. No one asked you to. You even broke a rule, a big one. But you broke it, 
of your own accord. Like, like all those heretics do. So I asked you to be my champion, because it felt right. Because I saw you with your shaggy, overgrown lion hair. And I thought to myself, Wow. Now that woman is the first and only diamond this place has ever seen. Oh. Well, yeah, diamonds don't grow in chemical districts. That's, that's my town fair. And Rune, you gasp back into your body. Uh, you see the inside of Baby, the back of Antigone's head, Eos's hands on the steering wheel, and a massive bridge that you're currently riding on, spanning a ginormous chasm lined with buildings. As soon as you gasp awake, Eos slams on the brakes. I think you're thrown forward against the seat. Uh, and Antigone also turns around in her seat. She whirls around in it, staring at you wide-eyed. What do you do? Rune groans a little bit as their forehead smacks into the back of the driver's side seat, probably like punching Eos in the bottom of her back. Gods, fuck, what, what, watch it. Oh my gods, you heretic, you're awake. Uh, yeah. You're awake, you're awake, you're alive. Uh, what were you talking about? My gods, my head but hurts. That doesn't, you're... Oh my gods, we thought you were going to stay asleep until we got to the Citadel, or, or unconscious at the very least, because you, you were half dead. You were dead. What? Why does it smell so bad? This place reeks. Where the fuck are we? And Rune grabs the front of their nose and pulls their shirt up to try to cover their nose a little bit. Gods. And they wearily blink open their eyes to try to get a better hold of the situation. Their mismatched gaze finally like coming into focus as they take in the interior of this car. Oh, my head. Oh, my head hurts. Careful, don't move so much. Uh, ow. I said I'm not done with you yet. What? Uh, where are we? We're in chemical four. That smell is the fumes from the vat below. The what below? There's a big pit filled with acid at the bottom. That doesn't matter right now. You're awake. That doesn't matter? No, it doesn't. We're on a bridge. We're fine. And besides, Eureka dwells at the very bottom of it. There's no way they know that we're up here, and you're here, and you're here. You're awake. Antigone seems to have settled from her shock of the fact that you're awake and not dead or comatose like she thought you would be. Uh, but she's completely turned around her seat and is like just staring at you with still wide eyes, her face slightly drained of color. Like neither her nor Ailes were expecting you to be conscious at this stage. Wait, chemical four, that's, that's at least days away. That's close to the Citadel. It's a three days drive away from the Citadel. See that needle in the distance? Mm. That's it. That's our destination. Three days drive from the Citadel. How long has it been? How long have I have I been out? Seven days. You haven't woken up in seven days. We've tried everything. We've tried splashing water on you. I've tried praying. I've tried, we've tried shaking you. We've tried... Wait, how much of that conversation did you hear? What? What about the diamond stuff? The conversation my champion and I were having. I don't know. I, I was kind of like a, a dream. What do you mean seven days? It, it, it was like maybe an hour that I was in the river. You... You were in the river? Mm-hmm. Excuse me? Is that supposed to mean something? What do you mean you were in the river? The river dried up a thousand years ago. Yeah, I was on the banks of it. The sidewalk. 
Wait, what are you... No, you were here the whole time. You were dreaming, okay? The river hasn't been... It hasn't been full for over ten centuries. There's no way you could have actually been, been communing with it. That's impossible. Yeah, no, I know. That's, that's the problem. What, what are you talking about? And there's a look on Antigone's face. The shock of you being awake has melted away. It was very briefly replaced with a sharp embarrassment when you were talking about mm. diamonds. And that embarrassment had fractured, is completely swept away. It's gone. And now replaced with, hmm, you're not exactly sure what this emotion is. I don't think you've ever seen it on the speaker's face before. Would you like to try to connect with someone? Oh, yeah, I would. So when you try to connect with someone, you tell them something intimate and answer one. The GM will reveal a fragment of their pain as they answer the other. So the two questions at your disposal are what common ground do we share and what still divides us? So I think as Antigone kind of cuts herself off and stares at you with that look starting to calcify across her expression, what's the intimate thing you tell her? I think completely without even meaning to, Rune is just spewing words out of their mouth. This moment with death and the devil and Aaliyah and Iron 42, they're just blabbing now in this half-awake state as they're dazed and slowly coming back into their body. And I think they just go, the river, I've I've been dreaming of it and the devil, well, the devil said that it's my domain to control sort of, uh, but death was very, very particular about the fact that it had to be you know, done with respect and not fear or grief or rage or anger like I have been for the past bit. I want you to answer one, Rune, as you trail off. What common ground do we share or what still divides us? What if I gave you a devil's bargain? You, you give me? Memest? Thou givest memest a devil's bargain? Go on. What if thou gave memest a devil's bargain? What if I let you answer both of them? Okay. But I got to clear a strain. Oh, interesting. Oh, so, <laughs> oh, so you're trying to bargain for your life uh -huh. here, I see. Technically, upon waking up, you did clear a strain, so you're at four. Ooh, okay, ooh, fine. Ooh. Yes? Actually, I have basis for this, actually, because my mortal trigger oh. is when I share <gasps> my hidden pain with someone who has broken my trust, clear all strain. Has Antigone broken your trust? No, but Eos has, and she's here. She's <laughs> she's present. That's and they're so like funny. A unit, so, oh my god. Okay, I'm pushing. fine. This is where the devil's bargain comes in. Okay, fine. I'll give it to you if I get to answer both. Fine. Yes, you get to clear off stream when this happens. I think in the complete stillness of baby, with nothing moving around you except these wafting, terrible-smelling fumes, trying to just eke their ways in through the cracks of the mini truck's glass and metal, Eos and Antigone stare at you. The speaker and the champion both. Eos has a kind of hard expression on her face. It looks closed off, almost like a fist. And you notice her dark gaze flicking over to Antigone, like trying to take cues from the speaker she serves about what to do next. Though her jaw is set in a way that promises... What is that? Violence? Antigone's face is a bit more of an open book. And there is a... What is that? 
a hunger in her gaze, a kind of blazing bright curiosity, like a deep thirst, a deep need for information, for knowledge, for wisdom, for a kind of lore that only you contain. You'd seen a glimpse of this when you first came out of Iron 42, but Antigone had relented and hadn't pushed you. What do you, you, wait, so you're telling me that you dreamed, you were dreaming this whole time, you dreamed of the river, mm-hmm. and you dreamed that the devil was on the banks of the river with you? Yes, and then death interrupted us because she wanted to claim me, but we did a, um, we played a game, and I won. Death? Yes. Death, the 13th Arcana, death? Yes, death, the 13th Arcana. Was there, she She came to you? Well, yes. You know, with a big hat, and the sunglasses. That's, that's, what, 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 the what? Her glasses, her, her tinted glasses. You mean her hollowed out eyes? Her blackened gaze? Her gaze was kind of intense, but she wears sunglasses and her eyes are red. Okay, death and Antigone props her hands up on her hips as she's twisted around to look at you. Death would not wear sunglasses. Well, I don't know what to tell you. She is. No, she's... No, death has always been depicted as a skeleton with a blackened, burning gaze draped in a dark robe, carrying a scythe. A sickle. That's how it is across all... What? A sickle. No, a scythe. No, a sickle. The words aren't interchangeable, heretic, though I wouldn't expect you to know, given that you've been a minor your whole life. A scythe, you see, is a long pole arm. I know what the fuck a scythe is. I'm telling you she had a sickle. Remember, I'm the one who makes weapons. Oh. Okay. You said earlier that you've had this dream before. Explain. Right. Um... Seven years ago, I I started having this dream where I would be on, on the banks of the river, on the, on the sidewalk of this huge, unbearably endless street. And all of the people walking in the street, there are hundreds, thousands, everyone, everyone who died that day walks down the street in the same direction. And I've only just ever watched them. I've only just ever been there watching them go by. They're ghosts. But that time I was there, like my body, uh, I guess my, not my body, my form, my soul was there. And so was the devil. And death. And Athamos. And I assume also the chariot. Every single word that you add on to this description of the river, every single detail, like every single added little idiosyncrasy, causes Antigone to grow more and more pale. At first, when you began your tale, she looked really skeptical. Her arms were crossed, her eyebrows were raised, right? Her eyes half-lidded. But as you went on, right, she slowly uncrosses her arms and her eyebrows set down and her eyes widen and the color drains from her face. And by the time you get to the description of the devil and death and Athamos and the chariot, she, she raises a shaking hand. Wait, 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 wait. Where did you learn that? I didn't. The description of the river. What tome did you steal, heretic? What holy person did you intimidate? How did you learn that? 
I'm telling you I didn't steal a book or intimidate some fucked up priest. I'm telling you I was there. That's... <laughs> that's... That's impossible. impossible. Yes, yes, it's impossible because what you're describing is... is is a place only speakers can scry. Only we can peer into the river and only on special, very, very, very special and rare occasions during massive sacrifices, rituals of communion. Wait, you've seen it. You've been there. I, and Rune leans in like kind of over the car rest. Antigone leans away from you just slightly and now she like clenches her hands into fists as she looks at you and that expression of shock is calcifying into fear slowly and gradually like a brave hero at the mouth of a cave being petrified by the serpent that lurks within so you've seen it you know what i'm talking about you know what i'm saying is true so why won't you believe me about the other shit i'm trying to tell you okay you asked all these questions you came into iron 42 upended my life and I, now i'm trying to tell you what's happening and now you don't want to hear me i i it's it's because i'm I, i'm scared okay because what you're saying what you're describing it, it it's impossible for someone like you who grew up in a pit town to even think about let alone describe in such detail because <sighs> Because the devil can't be on the shores of the river. That can't, that can't be happening. I thought you were just talking about some dream you were having. And fine, anyone can have a dream about what they think the river is. But your descriptions, it, it, that is the river. That, that is the actual river. And if the devil is on its banks and not walking in the street with the rest of the ghosts, then the devil is somewhere between, between life and death. And she freezes. The devil. The devil. Tell me, tell me about the devil. Tell me about how you met him exactly and why and what the bargain was that went bad. Tell me everything. Rune leans back a little bit, hesitating for a moment, this new information piling into their subconscious, everything that the devil had told them. I don't know exactly. I still have a lot of questions for him, but there, there was a there was a prophecy. There was a prophecy that the heretics knew about because because Zhang was was a ch champion, the champion of the below, and there was something about about the star's tear falling all the way down and landing in judgment's hands and speaking, and he hid it away, and then Zhang found it and took it to the heretics, who took it to the devil, and then they all died, and I and I killed him. I killed the devil. Rune, when you began telling the story of the Godkiller prophecy, Antigone was listening rapturously at first, like hungrily, still thirsting for this knowledge, like a sponge ready to just absorb all of this. As soon as you began describing the star, the tear falling into the palm of judgment, all of that, you noticed an expression fading its way downward on Antigone's face. At first, a look of shock, just abject shock, right? The unprocessed, denial-filled bewilderment of someone hearing something that they just can't comprehend. And then the shock melts into this, like, hollow, deep, pained emptiness. Like the kind of hollow, flat, dead-eyed look that you recognize on yourself it's the same look you saw reflected back in yourself in every bathroom mirror. 
on the surface of every oil slick rock in Iron 42 when you had the unfortunate mistake of glancing at yourself. I think in those first few days, weeks, months, you couldn't even look at yourself, at least not on purpose. But when you did, that was the expression you wore. And now you see that expression on Antigone's face. And by the end of what you're saying about killing the devil, she doesn't even react. There isn't even any kind of physical movement, nothing. She just stands there staring at you with that hollow, empty, dead-eyed look. What? Enrune looks at Eos for a moment, then looks back at Antigone. What? What did I say? Did you know about this? Antigone blinks once, twice, the soft edges of her face starting to turn kind of hard and distant as you regard her. Her eyes even grow dim, like a hand shading a candle. Her expression overall doesn't change too much, and she doesn't even move, but suddenly she just seems really far away from you for some reason, hard to reach. The speaker of the above opens her mouth, and the next words that come out tumble out and, and seem very faint, almost shaken. You... you said there was a prophecy with the star and the below, but that... that can't be. No, no, th there has to be something else. I... I... And jumping in, like a knight gladly falling upon a blade, is Eos. In sharp contrast to Antigone, her face is the most expressive you've ever seen it. It's all shadows and dark concern and sharp pressing protectiveness. And her dark eyes drill into you, Rune. Let's talk outside. Outside? Why? Why outside? Eos, Eos, I'm fine. My lady, I have this under control. Let's talk outside. You said you wanted answers. I'll get you answers. Rune's mismatched gaze flicks between Antigone and Eos, and for a moment when they look at Antigone, there's something concerned, something emotive, something deep and real that wells up inside Rune because they recognize that expression on her face, that grief on her face. That's what it is. That's grief on her face. Rune knows it all too well. But their eyes flick back to Eos and the intensity on their expression is too hard to disregard. And Rune's jaw sets, their mouth presses into a hard line, their brow furrows just a tiny bit, a small tumble of white and brown hair cresting over their forehead. Fine. Outside, then. Eos slams open the driver's side door, and just this wall of putrid, acrid stench wafts inside, like a miasma just bam, hitting you straight to the brain. As Rune fumbles to get out of the door, their legs still tired and weak from dive jumping all the way down to the bottom of Iron 42 in the river, somehow more alive and more tired than they've ever been in their whole life. As that smell hits them, it's like Rune got punched in the solar plexus. Yeah. This toxic air wafting into their lungs so hard it burns the inside of their mouth, the inside of their nose, the inside of their throat, the inside of their lungs. And immediately their hand goes up to their nose, clenched in a fist, and they mutter under their breath, Fuck. Fuck this place. Gods.
Eos does not seem affected by the stench at all. Maybe it's the fact that she grew up here. Maybe it's the fact that she is so intensely trained on you, all her other senses fall away. Maybe it's a combination of both. She waits until your boots hit the pavement as well, and she slams the door shut behind her, so more of the smell doesn't get in and bother Antigone, presumably. And she turns to face you in the dark, right? Half-limbed, half-lit up by the foggy low beams cutting through the miasma. You are upsetting my lady. Your talk of the star, this ill-fated prophecy, this addled dialogue of god-killing. You are upsetting my lady. You are making her remember terrible things. Things that should stay buried because they hurt her when they resurface. So you need to stop. I am going to make you stop. Eos is regarding you with this immense amount of distrust, which isn't so new to you, but there is an edge of something else, too. It takes you a minute to realize that the something else is anger. But the reason why you didn't clock anger, which is usually a very easy-to-read emotion, is because this anger isn't easy. It's not incandescent, it's not bright, it's not shining and right there in front of you. This anger is darker. But at the same time, it also feels shallower. Actually, it feels helpless. It's the anger of a woman about to wade into an ocean and slash at the waves with her blade for drowning her lover. It's futile. It's a helpless, futile rage because there's nothing else left for her to do. There are no other weapons at her disposal, no other tools for her to use to address an impossible problem, a problem beyond her capacity to fix. A problem of Antigone's pain. So rage is all the champion has left. I regret what happened back in Iron 42. I regret that I didn't finish the job. Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Enrune takes two steps back, regarding her warily, feeling the intensity rise through the air as though it's electricity in a thunderstorm, and their hands draw up toward the long knives at their hip. When Athamos cursed you, I almost felt sorry for you. I thought you were just some star-cursed mortal. Something that the speaker could take in like a wounded rabbit and nurse back to health in the Citadel. But that's not what you are. And the gods you kill, their blood doesn't just stain you, it stains her. I am her shield, I am her bulwark, I am her guardian. It is my duty, my responsibility, and my privilege to shield her from pain. All kinds of pain and injury, not just physical. And what you bring, heretic, is pain. So I, and she raises her head and brings her fist to the grip of her sword strapped to her back, though she doesn't draw it yet. I challenge you to a duel to the death. A duel? I've been asleep for a week and you're challenging me to a duel. You are not just a heretic. You're not just a threat to Lady Antigone. You're the god killer. But I am no deity. I am immortal. And based on everything I've seen of you, 
in terms of violence, the violence you enacted against Athamos, the violence you enacted against the Chariot, and the violence you claim to have enacted against the Devil. You are a danger to the Six, you are a danger to the Cradle, you are a danger to everything this place stands for. And why is that such a fucking problem for you? Eos flinches at that. And uh, the same kind of conflicted, scowling look like flashes across her face for that half second as had crossed her face during that like late night talk you had with her during the first part of your journey out of Iron 42, when you told her what a heretic was, what you actually do, and dispelled her misconceptions about your role. This is Chemical 4, isn't it? Yes. You want this place to stay exactly as it is. You want to fight me to the death about it. It doesn't matter what you do, what you think you can do. Nothing about the Cradle is going to change. Chemical 4 isn't going to change. The Cradle isn't going to change. The Speaker of the Above is not going to change, and I am not going to change no matter what you do. So stop trying and, and leave us alone. Is that really what you want? I challenge you to a duel to the death do you accept. I just promised Death that I wouldn't be meeting her again, so this will end very badly for you, I promise you that. Well, that's not for you to decide, is it? You might be surprised. I think it is. Well, then prove it! And Eos rushes forward with, like, the blade drawn overhead. She barrels towards you like a truck. She has all power and force and a surprising amount of like burst speed, right? Like her sprint just right out of the gate like a charging bull is surprisingly quick. Like she closes the 20 foot gap between you in a few short strides and she is on you. What do you do as she's like swinging this blade down on you, attempting to like bisect you from your top left shoulder all the way down to your hip? She might have that incredible strength and burst speed, but Rune's prowess is number one, their speed, and number two, the fact that they are unpredictable and really, really hard to track. So I think as she bursts forward towards them, Rune closes the distance almost as though to meet her gaze and faints while they're on the inside of her guard. Like her blade is so big that there has to be some distance Yes, for it to be fully effective. For it to be fully effective. So as that huge swing comes down, Rune is going to risk getting clipped by it to get in, like, inside her guard, trying to use the size of that massive greatsword against her. Sounds like you're tempting fate, my friend. Mm. So when you tempt fate with your actions, say what perilous feat you're trying to accomplish and roll 2d6. I think you just described it. So add one for each true statement. A skilled ally is lending you a hand. No. I don't think so. You have no other options. Plenty of other options. You're far from any god that wishes you harm. Huh. Huh. Well, Connie, what is the answer to that question? I think it's a yes. Right now, you are far from any god that wishes you harm. All right. So that's a plus one. Six. Oh, that's a miss. So on a miss, the fates laugh in your face. The GM will describe how your plan implodes. So... I think you do manage to get inside her guard, right? You do it. And what was going to be the follow-up thing you did? Rune was going to come at her solar plexus with the butt of one of their long knives to kind of jab it into her and knock the wind from her. 
I think you do. And what you realize very quickly is that her armor is really thick and it's especially plated in front of the solar plexus. Mm -hmm. So you bang the butt of your longsword against her chest and it just kind of clangs off. And you even feel like your entire forearm, elbow, your- Yeah, there's like a rough shock that goes up there. There's a- Yeah, just like you're vibrating from like the force of it. And I think it staggers you for like a half second before you regain your composure. But that half second is all Eos needs to use her other hand that's not holding the greatsword to punch you. I think she like clobbers you uh, in the side of the head. And it's a, a very non-champion-like move, okay? Mm. Like no champion of the above should punch someone in the head <laughs> as a fighting maneuver, but she but she does it, right? It's kind of like rough street brawling, which is something you're used to, mm. Rune. But you will take one strain for that as she hits your head, which was still kind of ringing from being in the river, right? And like you're seeing double now. Mm-hmm. As she does that, she also starts stepping away to give herself that distance so she can use her sword again. Yeah, Rune staggers, sees double for half a moment as her fist connects with her head. Rune is all electricity. They are hot-tempered. And I think that fire is starting to, like, bubble not just on their physical form, but in their personality. Mm. This stench of horrid chemical burning underneath them is like rising up and almost crackling around them, making them feel kind of heightened and intense in a way that they try not to get as often as they can. And I think they're just like flicking their blades back and forth almost, like drawing them up and out, letting the chain hang by their feet. Mm. And they just shift back and forth with this kind of reserve of anger living in like the bottom of their chest that's starting to bubble and rise to the surface. Like it's a reservoir that Rune is pulling from at this point. Mm. As the two of you look at each other, Eos says from like the 20 feet of distance you have between yourselves, don't tell me you want to back out now that you know the stakes. Huh. No, I really don't think I do. I still haven't thanked you properly for dropping me off of a bridge. You might be blessed or cursed with some kind of divine providence that allows you to fell gods. But as far as I'm concerned, mortal to mortal, you're just another scrawny, underfed heretic from a dirt-poor mining town. Yeah, so my divine trigger is when I turn to violence against someone who slanders or mocks my pain, I awaken my divinity, and rune swords are out at their sides before they really even understand how fast their body is moving. And they chuck one at her head so fast that they don't even realize what they've done until the sword leaves their hand. Okay, that sounds like you're trying to inflict violence to me. So roll 2d6. And we get to add one for each true statement. So they wish you harm? Yes, I would say so. You're desperate? I'm not desperate, I think. I don't think you're desperate here. You're just angry, which means it is personal. So that's it a is plus personal. two. Yeah. Lord. Six. <laughs> Lord, indeed. Okay, on a miss, the opposition seizes on a flaw in your approach. Suffer two strain, and the GM will describe the corner you're backed into. Ow. I think you're acting pretty impulsively here, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're just kind of throwing your sword without thinking. You just want to hurt her. You just want her to shut up. And as your arm flies forward and the knife whizzes and cuts through the air like an arrow, Eos... Maybe a juggernaut of a woman, but she is also a trained killer. 
she raises an armored gauntlet and I think deflects. She just pings it away from her body. And there's like a flash a spark from where these two pieces of metal collide. Rune immediately draws their chain back so that the knife comes back into their hand and they snarl at her. Fine, a duel to the death. That's what you want. Let's fucking go. So <laughs> now's the fun part where I describe the corner you're backed into as you have to suffer two strain. As you get those words out of your mouth, she is already charging at you. She, like her greatsword is drawn off of her back. Her cape is fluttering like wings behind her. And she closes the gap between the two of you, the, let's be honest, relatively modest gap between the two of you and slams her sword down on you. With two strain, I think you're able to roll out of the way, but the sword cleaves into the cement, like into the ground and shatters a crater open. That's how freaking physically powerful she is. And from like the debris flying upward from these chunks, I think that's where you take those two strain. Yeah, I think there's something in Rune's body that is both alive and slow. Like, like their mind is whirling with this game that they had just played literally with death. And now they are once again dueling her in the waking realm. But still they turn, heaving themselves up off of the ground where they were flung backward from this absolute destruction that Eos is able to wreak so easily and effortlessly. And looking like a cornered coyote, literally snarling, Rune comes at her again. I think what follows next is a chorus of sparks flying through the air as your knives ping against her armor, ping against her greatsword, as both of you, I think, take space and seed space. It's kind of like an even match, I think, for like the next few moments of you coming at her and then her just using her brute strength and build to toss you back and then bear down on you. And then you using your dexterity and your agility to like turn and run out of the way and then swing back again and then seize the uh, opportunity and advantage once more is the two of you going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I think during this exchange of blows right next to baby, basically right in front of her headlights, Eos lets out a snarl. The speaker of the above might not be able to see this, but I do. I don't understand magic. I don't understand the gods like you and Antigone do, but I understand violence. I understand death. I understand blood. And what you will bring to the cradle is blood. You will bring change through death and killing. Her words ensnare Rune, I think against the edges of their grief, against the edges of their rage, as she tears at this vulnerable part of them, because that is exactly what the devil wanted. Or so he said, he said that he wanted Rune to remake the cradle in fire and blood and destruction and death. And that resonates, I think, as their divinity is starting to awaken, as their hands are starting to burn red hot fire building in their chest but that little voice that small reminder from death that they cannot control the river through violence they cannot control the river through rage they cannot make change that way and that's not what Aaliyah wanted they all died screaming that's not how rune wants anyone else to go they don't want anyone else to die screaming and full of rage that's not what they want. And Rune practically explodes against Aeos's greatsword, I think. They come at her with such strength and such power as they say, it doesn't have to be that way. What if you saw something that wasn't violence? 
What if for one second you stopped to look around and saw something other than pain and your own blade? No. No. Violence is the only language the gods understand. Violence is the only thing they give back to us in exchange for our worship. <laughs> now you're talking like a heretic. Do you really think that's what's going to protect her? And Rune gestures with the blunt end of their sword toward the truck where Antigone is. Do you think that your violence will protect her? You shut up. Because eventually you will rage and rage and rage and eventually it will be somebody else that pushes you down a well, throws you off a bridge. You shut up! Uh, and Eos Bull rushes you as you like rush toward her as well. Like the two of you are gonna clash in like a massive explosion. So that sounds like some kind of move to me. Are you gonna challenge someone dangerous? Ooh, yes, I would love to challenge someone dangerous. Okay, we do have an audience here, Antigone. She's presumably in the front seat watching this. So when you challenge someone dangerous in front of an audience, say what foolish or risky action you hope they'll take and roll 2d6. I think the foolish or risky action Rune is hoping that she'll take is that she'll listen to them. Hmm. Like that those words will actually root in her mind because that is hmm. honestly the most foolish or risky thing that she could possibly do. Okay. Add one for each true statement. They care about your opinion. Yes, I think she hates it, but she does care about your opinion. Mm. And I think that's part of why she's so mad because she wishes she wasn't. Mm. <laughs> like I, there's a part of the champion that wishes what you're saying about heresy and all this stuff like they can just sort of brush off and not give a crap about. But for some reason they do. So they do care about your opinion. They think they're stronger than you. I'm not sure. Well, you did just give a whole speech about how she thinks she's stronger than me as a mortal. Okay, you know what? Fine. Yeah. Motherfucker, fine. Yes. They think they're stronger than you. The crowd is on your side. I think Antigone is split. Mm. I think there's a reason the speaker hasn't come out yet shouting for this to end. Whether she's still in that strange, hollow, dead-eyed place or if something about this fight is conflicting her. So I think that's a plus two. Okay. Don't fuck me, dice. <laughs> <laughs> Eight. Oh my god. Okay, on a hit, <laughs> your target rises to the bait. That is a perfect hit. So as the two of you clash, I think there's this moment where your, your blades are crossed, right? And like both of you are shaking, mm -hmm. if that's cool with you. Mm -hmm. Like her hands are so tight on her the grip of her great sword. And she, you know, her muscles are straining. Sweat is rolling out the side of her face, right? What does it look like as you're straining against her? Rune's eyes are ablaze with fire, I think. And there's that inky blackness that's starting to eat up their left pupil as the red of their iris burns hot like an ember. But there's something about their face that's electric, alive, alive with the idea that they could change, alive with a power that they're no longer hiding from as they feel their divinity pushing through their veins. And there's an intensity, and I think Rune leans their face in past the barrier of their blades looking up at her, entreating her, the devil on her shoulder. Hmm. And Eo says through gritted teeth, straining against you, I don't care about the six. I don't care about the witness. I don't care about the major or minor arcana of the cradle I never have. All I've ever wanted my entire life is a cause to fight for is a good reason for living that isn't just bread and a roof over my head and just surviving day to day to day to day in the labs 
in the chemical-stained trials and the vat and the pit. Lady Antigone gave that to me the day she rescued me from this god's forsaken hole in the ground. I am not going to let you hurt her. And that is why you will lose, Champion Eos. Because you only fight for her. I fight for all of them. And I would like to use my divinity. <gasps> Girl, okay. So when I unleash my awakened divinity while making a divine move before I roll, I temporarily seize control over the situation. I will resolve the outcome as a hit and describe how my godhood surges forward, exerting my will upon reality. When I'm done, my divinity becomes dormant once more. Beautiful. Is there a specific divine move you wanted to use? Or are you just kind of like letting this come out? I think I want to wield a power. <gasps> okay. So when you wield a power to do something only a god can, typically you'd roll for this, but you're going to get the auto hit. So on the auto hit, you just do it. So what power are you trying to use and, and how does it come out? I think up from the bottom of the vat, all of the ghosts <gasps> that have died in chemical four start to surge upward. This mist, this hallucinogenic steam, ghosts start appearing from it, reaching forward and out of the river, collapsing through rune like they're a portal. As they start to surge forward and surround both Rune and Eos as they're locked in battle on this bridge, like climbing upward from the vat all the way up, climbing, 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 surging upward into the air to surround this bridge. These not angry ghosts, summoned ghosts from the river, memories, memories of people who lived and died here, people who were worth fighting for, mm. people who were protected by Eos until she left, people who, people who died protecting her. Ghosts who have lived and walked the same path that she has walked and lived. Mm. I think as these chemical ghosts swirl and corporealize and take shape and form out through this miasma that suffuses the bridge, Eos pauses. We feel like that brutish force behind her greatsword relent for just a fraction of a pound as her eyes tear away from you and they look around herself wide-eyed and we see recognition and familiarity flash across her expression like she's recognizing so many of these ghosts similar to how you would recognize people from Iron 42 if they started swirling around you right now. She even takes like a half step back even though her sword is still pressed against yours. I... No, I... I what... You stop that, you, you stop that. There is so much worth fighting for. Don't let it just be your rage. I don't let it just be your grief. Do you really want things to stay the way they are? Of course I don't, but I don't have the luxury of hope. All I have is my faith to her. All I have is my devotion. I am nothing without it. You are everything without it. That does not make you champion. What she said in there, your choice, your choice to save her made you champion, not your devotion, not your loyalty, not your faith in something that will not serve you, will only give you violence at the end of your life. That is not what makes you champion. I, 
I... God's damn it! And she backs away from you. That, like, 10,000 pounds of pressure at the point of your crossed blades, it relents. She breaks away from you, and in that same gesture, she throws her greatsword to the ground. It clatters against the concrete, kicking up several sparks, and disperses a group of ghosts that was standing there. I... I want to stop fighting. Rune blinks in surprise. And I think as they do, as her greatsword clatters against the ground, the ghosts start disappearing, like fog being blown by a strong wind. And I think it is a strong wind that blows across this bridge that takes all of these ghosts down and back into the vat, down into the river where they rest eternally. The gods aren't the only ones in the cradle who only speak violence. I am too. I have no other language outside of blood and death. I told you it was my worth. That much is true. It is also my end. There is no other possibility for someone like me, for a champion of the above, for a survivor in the cradle, and I, I want to stop fighting. For a moment, Rune's gaze clicks downward toward their own hands, gripping the hilt of their long knives, the tips of their fingers smoking, blackened with ash. They look back up at Eos, their mismatched gaze still bold and fiery, and they let both of their long knives fall onto the ground, the chain clattering as they do so, and they take a few steps toward her. The heretics taught me how to fight. They also taught me how to read, how to find my own food, how to bandage wounds. Maybe, maybe part of the cradle changes in blood and fire, but that's not all it can be. There needs to be something else too, something worth fighting for, a world where you don't have to fight. And I need your help. As much as I loathe to admit it, I need your help. I need her help. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm out of my depth. Whatever they have at the Citadel, I need it. I need to figure out what this means for me. But I can't if every other day you're threatening to throw me off another bridge. Eos's jaw sets. Her lips twist to the side. She glances over the edge of the bridge glances back at you. I'm not asking you to like me. I'm not asking you even to laugh at my jokes. You make jokes? Shut up. I'm asking you to try to trust me. And if you can't trust me, trust at least that I have the power to kill a god. Fine. Fine. And I think a lungful of air escapes out of Rune's nose, is your breath coming out full and deep. And then they inhale and choke a little bit on the stench on the acid as it's starting to form <laughs> again after that huge gust of wind had blown through chemical four, clearing the air for a couple of seconds. They bring their fist back to their nose. Gods, this place reeks. Yeah, imagine growing up and living here. Rune! 
You and Eos stand on that bridge in that foul-smelling fog, chests heaving with exertion, sweat beading on your brows, staring down at each other with this newfound feeling pressed in the air between you. A feeling that is thickening like the miasma wafting up from the vat. It is a feeling both familiar and unknown. You may not fully understand each other, you may not even like each other at this point, but you are beginning to respect the other's perspective and their outlook on the cradle. And as this strange, warm, kind of prickling feeling of respect bubbles underneath your skin, a noise shatters this tenuous, quiet moment you're sharing between the two of you. It is the noise of baby's passenger side door opening and then slamming shut, and stumbling onto the pavement of the bridge, coughing into a white-robed sleeve against the ever-consuming toxic fog, is Antigone. The speaker of the above no longer bears that shaken, pallid expression that she wore right before Eos led you out of the car. Instead, she looks insistent. She looks determined. She has that same kind of radiant grit that bore down upon you in Iron 42 through Refinery 19, and now it cuts through the murky dark like a searchlight and bears down upon you once more. And as she speaks, Antigone's expression is really hard, but also very open, very viciously curious, desperate for information. No more fighting, okay? Eos, that's an order. Yes, my lady. The heretic and I have reached an accord. We're not going to come to blows anymore. Good. Good. You shouldn't have been coming down to blows in the first place. And you. And Antigone whirls around in the mist and pins her sharp black gaze upon you, Rune. That prophecy. That prophecy you were talking about back in the car. The encounter you had with the devil. No, even, even before that. The deal that went bad. The dreams of the river. Your meeting with death. Tell me everything. And half haloed in this horrid, toxic fog, Rune looks down at Antigone. Xerface is cracked open with surprise for half a beat, staring down at this smaller woman. And for a moment, Rune feels like they're on a precipice. They feel like once again they are on the edge of that chasm of Iron 42. And for a moment they hear Aaliyah's voice ringing in their head, encouraging them to take the fall, seeing her bravery. And for the first time in their life, Rune does. They tell the speaker of the above everything. Wow. Okay, yeah. Rune, you tell her everything. From the very beginning, you tell her about the vision of an impossible utopia that Xiang had shared with the heretics. You tell her about the deal you thought you made with the devil. You tell her about the night everything went to hell. You tell her about the same dream you've had every single night for the past seven years. You tell her about the river. You tell her now about the god-killer prophecy and the supposed true deal that the 21 damned had forged with the devil. 
through all of this, this confession, I think. It tumbles out of you because it has nowhere to go for the past seven years, and now it's going all to her. And Antigone takes your story in stride. Her resolve doesn't falter. She doesn't interrupt you. She just listens with a kind of hungry, desperate expression on her face. And you get the sense that for Antigone, this information of yours is akin to food for a starving person. She devours every single word you say, hanging on to every single syllable. And by the time you're done, that hunger isn't satiated. It has only deepened. Her face darkens. Her brow furrows. And then Antigone speaks. This prophecy you speak of. There have always been rumors of heresy. Even in the citadel, rumors of sedition, rumors of sacrilege. This prophecy sounds like one of those. It, it could just be a rumor, but everything that has happened between Iron 42 and now makes me think this one could be true. It could hold weight beyond water, perhaps even beyond blood. But we don't know that for sure. The devil can't be trusted, even if he claims to be a god of his word, even if he's dead. He is a deity of loopholes and two-faced truths. So I need, I need to confirm the stories with the witness. I need to make sure that this track that we're on is the right track. I need to figure out what it means for you to be this, a mortal with the power to slay a god. The witness will know. The above is the domain of knowledge. We are a shining beacon of truth. I know that we will learn the truth of this prophecy the devil has spoken about in its storied halls. Our original plan still holds. I will help you lift Athamos's curse, though I suppose you are now doubly cursed by the chariot as well, and I will figure out exactly where the devil has gone and the truth behind this prophecy. The Citadel is a mere three days ride away, so there are some ground rules we should establish. First, and she prods a finger hard into your chest. Hey. Do not reveal that you are a heretic to anyone. Based on what Eos has told me, based on what I've observed and what you've done, I do not think your brand of heresy is actually much of a threat to anyone mortal, though what you stand for, another jab. But what, independence from godhood? Yes, it still threatens the holy order of the six. So keep your mouth shut, jab, 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 about your heretical inclinations. Do you understand? Rune brushes her hand away, moving it as though it were a fly to an elephant. And they look down at her with that mismatched gaze and their eyes roll for half a second before a, gods, what the fuck is that? A smile cracks across their face. And Rune heaves this small sigh as they resheath both of the long knives at their hip and their hand comes up to their hair and pushes it back as the sweat beads on their temple. Oh my a god. A few wisps of brown and white falling into their face as they look down at Antigone and say, yeah, fine, whatever, but you know that you're actually going to have to start using my name instead of calling me heretic if we want this plan to succeed, right? 
Okay, as you're brushing your hair back, roll me a d6. Oh my god, are you serious? Just one d6. I'm yes, I'm serious. Myself. A one. <laughs> that was okay. homophobic. Okay, so this is what happens. As you're pushing your hair back and your sweat's kind of going and you're looking down and giving her a little crooked half smile, she stares up at you with an inscrutable expression. You think maybe it's hatred. Mm. It's probably just the fog. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely definitely just the fog. Uh, there's a, a, a half pause, like a heartbeat of quiet. And then she says, oh, yes, right. Of course, your name. Um, you don't know it. Yes, I do. No, I know your name. Oh, my fucking Obviously. gods. Obviously, I know your name. The witness showed me your face and your name when I went asking after the devil in Iron 42. Mm -hmm. And it came to me in a vision of, of a clear vision of clarity. Mm -hmm. And your name is, of course- you know, the devil knows my name. Shut up. My name is Shut Up. That's because he lives inside your head and he's dead. No, your name is not Shut Up, obviously, though I wish it were, and I wish it would work. No, your name is Ruin. Your name is Ruin. Ruin it is. It's not Ruin, is it? Ruin lifts their eyebrows and smirks down at her. Oh, I thought you were the beacon of knowledge and truth. She she looks like she wants to kick you off the bridge. She looks like she just wants to punt you off the bridge. And her face just like clenches. It like sharpens and narrows and twists in this horrifically tiny little bitchy way, right? And she just goes on with a snarl, jabs you in the chest again. Mm. The second ground rule, heretic, is that you should not and cannot bring up the god killer prophecy with anyone until I've had a chance to discuss it with the witness. This includes admitting to killing Athamos, admitting to killing the chariot, understand? Okay, okay, okay. Knowing the other six, they will have heard of Athamos's demise by the time we get there, as well as the chariot's death. And they will want to probe you for answers. They will want you to admit to salacious details that you simply cannot give them. Damn, at least buy me dinner first. I cannot stress this enough. If the other speakers smell blood, they will pounce. The balance of power and peace within the Citadel is tenuous at best, even during peacetime. It is threadbare. The only thing that prevents the Six from eating each other alive is our illusion of civility. So if you go around talking about God-killing and slaying Athamos and burning the chariot willy-nilly you, I will not be able to guarantee your safety. Do you understand me? There's a bead of silence that hangs in the air for a moment. As Rune's eyes pull off of Antigone, upward toward the sky, that miasmic haze where ghosts had just been, up toward where the star hangs like a dead saint in the sky. You got it, princess. But I get to ride shotgun. As Baby roars into the fog, like a shark churning through a tempest, heading toward the citadel, we hold on this bridge of chemical four that the three of you leave behind. It is an ancient, sturdy bridge of stone and rebar a mile long and over a dozen lanes wide. 
We pull down now, past the parapets, past the concrete pillars supporting the arch, down, down, down into the miasma shimmering above the acid lake. The lake broils and seethes, iridescent bubbles of toxins forming and bursting upon its bitter surface. Nothing survives down here. All the refuse and dead rats and failed experiments that are poured into its all-consuming depths are disintegrated within hours, if not minutes. There is only venom here. Even the god of this place, Eureka, the Knight of Wands, lost fair body long ago in the middling centuries of the devouring when the weak had died off and only the strong were cowardly survived. Eureka was once beautiful, majestic even, fair appearance awe-inspiring enough to rival even the major arcana. But now, Fey is only acid, acid, and the deep, dark loneliness of the chasm feeding off the desperate innovation of the mortals of Chemical 4. Now, Eureka is the vat. The vat is Eureka. As the guttering of baby's engine winds to a fade, the surface of this lake, of the Night of Wands, bubbles. The steam hisses, repeating phrases that the god heard on the bridge not moments ago. Prophecy, heretic, god killer. The bubbles coalesce, forming the silhouette of a vulture out of mist and poison. The phrases repeat over and over and over again, interwoven with Eureka's own design. Prophecy, heretic, god killer, tell the six. The vulture solidifies, forming feathers of gnarled green and a beak of sleek, acidic yellow. It spreads its gooey, putrid wings and takes flight, every beat of its wings whispering with divine purpose. It flies off into the mist and vanishes. For you see, Eureka did not survive the devouring because Faye was strong. No, 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 no. The Knight of Wands survived for so long because it was a coward. A cunning, vicious coward with an ear for the right rumors at the right time. Prophecy. Heretic. God killer. Tell the six. Godkiller First Blood is performed by Connie Chong and C. Thomas. Follow Connie on Twitter and TikTok at ByConnieChong and C on Twitter at CPlaysRPG. To play your very own campaign of Godkiller and support our show, pre-order Godkiller First Blood Edition on itch.io today. Transplaner RPG is made possible by your Patreon contributions and sponsors who believe in our mission to tell great stories and lift up our community. Sponsors like ExplainTrade.com. 
Explain Trade is a negotiation skills consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines on Twitter, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy giving all his money to trans and queer art and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and heed his words. Sign up for our Patreon today at patreon.com slash transplanerrpg. First Blood is also sponsored by Start Playing Games, the largest online platform for players to find tabletop role-playing campaigns of your very own. Join a table that fits your schedule today at startplaying.games. We are also sponsored by Magpie Games, the independent TTRPG publisher behind such incredible works as Masks A New Generation, Avatar Legends, Urban Shadows, Bluebeard's Bride, and much, much more. Check out their amazing selection of Powered by the Apocalypse games at magpiegames.com. Finally, we're proud to be sponsored by Roll. Roll is an online RPG platform that serves as a video-first alternative to complex virtual tabletops. Build, modify, and play your very own games of Godkiller on Roll today at playroll.com.